0: Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Jeshurites. From the Shehor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites and the Meera that belongs to the Sidonians, to Afek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Jebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon, to Mizrapoth Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh.
1: Hello everyone. Good to be back with you. If I haven't a chance to meet you, my name's Brenton. I hail from the land of even more pretentious coffee in Melbourne. And uh, we have, uh, my wife and I have come down here, Lauren, my three kids are here. Um, we've been able to stay at Jim and Marie's house. Thank you, Jim and Marie. Just feel like I needed to honor you this morning. And um, like we said, we are going to be going through 10 chapters of Joshua so I hope you're comfortable. We'll be here for the next four hours. I'm just kidding. It'll only be two hours. No, no, no. No, it won't be two hours. Um, there's a lot to cover, but I think to fully understand kind of where we're at in the ch- this chapter of Joshua, we kind of need a bit of a recap. And not just a recap of the book of Joshua, but actually a recap from the beginning, like the Adam and Eve beginning. And so... Um, The reason why is because there are these three massive themes in that we see in the book of Joshua, but not just there, in the whole Bible, that if we miss them, we'll actually miss not just the point of the book of Joshua, but a huge part of the biblical narrative. And these three themes are people, land, and promise. People, land, promise and promise. So instead of me just giving you a recap of the Bible, what I thought we could do with our kids here and everything, we I thought we could do this together. And so this is going to need a bit of crowd participation to work and also for me not to look silly. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to use those three themes, people, land, and promise. And when I point to a certain side, so I'm going to just say this group right here. When I point to you, you're going to say the word people. Can we try it? A bit louder than that. People. There we go. Awesome. And if you're here under the tree or under the shade, your word is going to be land. Are you ready? All right, great. And then if you're over here by the tree, your, your word's going to be promise. Can we do that? Excellent. Okay, let's do another practice run. We've got. People. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so in the beginning, Adam and Eve leave a perfect. People. People. Sorry, I got myself wrong. They leave a perfect, <laughs> great, this is going well. We're going well. So they leave the garden and why do they leave? It's because of their sin. And for the next 2,000 years, the, they multiply and they have dominion over the earth, but they don't really have a collective identity yet. But then a man named Abraham was born and God made him a... There's a famous passage in Genesis 15 where God says to Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your or your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So this land that Abraham and his descendants would possess would be the land of Canaan. This is the land that we're in currently in the book of Joshua. And they promised, uh, God promised Abraham a, spe- a bunch, a bunch of descendants. So God made him a, to give him a, that would live in a, that's right. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. He has a son named Jacob, Jacob would become to know by another name. That name is Israel. And Jacob would have 12 sons. And so their sons and their families would be known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Israelites moved from this land, Canaan, down to Egypt. And at first it goes really, really well. But over 400 years, these people become enslaved by the Egyptians. And they start longing for this land, that they had in Canaan. And then a man named Moses is born. And God appears to Moses in a a burning bush one day. You remember this? Exodus chapter three. I'm going to need your help with this again. This is what it says. It says, I have observed, this is what God says to him. I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the, the Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Mozibites, (laughs) to a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses hears this promise and goes multiple times to the Pharaoh of Egypt and famously asks him, let my people go. Pharaoh eventually agrees, reluctantly, and the people cross over the Red Sea and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They get some hard times and the people start to doubt and they start to complain and they start to rebel against God. And Moses has to remind them of the promise that God gave Abraham in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, God, uh, Moses reminds the people: Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do the law, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as a, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a, land flowing with milk and honey. Give yourselves a round of applause. You did fantastic. That's great. Horrible directing. Fantastic speaking. Um, so if you notice these three themes: people, land, promise, they play a major part in Israel's story. And when we hit the book of Joshua, we see that this will continue. Moses gives the mantle of leadership to Joshua. Joshua takes the people across a different river, the Jordan River, into the land of Canaan. And if you've been with us the last seven weeks or so, you've seen already the Israelites have captured the city of Jericho. They've defeated the city of Ai. I think last week they defeated the Amorites, right? And so now, as we get into Joshua 13, all of the the epic war stories have kind of ended and we're going to see Joshua start to hand out some, for lack of a better term, he's going to hand out some real estate contracts to the the 12 tribes of Israel. But it's within these chapters that we're going to see these three major themes come together, land, people, promise. And it's going to be an incredibly important moment in the biblical history for the Israelites. And it's also going to point us to our saviour. Jesus. So we're going to look at these chapters in two parts today. The first part is the people of the land. Part two is a promise for the future. The people of the land and a promise for the future. Let's have a look at the people of the land. If you've got your little bulletin out, we're going to be in chapter 13, right at the beginning. It says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. The Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains very much land to possess. God says to Joshua, you are old, son, but there's so much more work for you to do. Joshua is about 85 years old at this stage of his life. And he's taken the people across the Jordan. He's endured lots of wars. I mean, God is, and God has still got work for him to do. Now, I just want to encourage you, if you are old and advanced in years, as Joshua is, God has some incredible work for you to do in His kingdom. And I'm already seeing it. I've seen so much of it in this church already, and I've been so encouraged by that. But when you jump down, let's, let's jump down to verse six, because after listing all of the regions that Joshua was to divide the people up to, God has something important to say about himself. God says, "I myself." will drive them out before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, I don't know if any of you have received inheritances before. I have not. But in our day and age, it usually refers to, you know, either some material possessions or some money that's handed down from an older generation to a younger generation. But in this chapter, the the word inheritance actually doesn't mean that. The word's probably more closely translated to mean a possession of a property or a land. And this is an important distinction because possessing a land for the people of Israel wasn't just having a place to raise a family. It was actually a huge part of their identity. And to see how that would start forming their identity, have a look at the next verse. This is verse 7. God says to Joshua, Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh and the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave to them beyond Jordan eastward as Moses, the servant of the Lord gave them. So Joshua is saying, okay, nine and a half of you guys, your tribes are going to be on this side of the river and the other two and a half tribes, you're going to be on that side of the river. Now, if I'm doing my math correctly, how many tribes is that? 12? Twelve? 12 tribes. tribes. So God has divided the land between the 12 tribes of Israel. But notice Joshua's role was not to actually go and defeat all the enemies. God says that's his, that's his job. Uh, back when they were in the wilderness, Moses reminds them of this. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 9. It says, Know therefore today that he who goes over before you is a consuming fire, the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. So God is the one who will drive out the inhabitants of the land in Canaan. But he has a warning for the Israelites. He says, do not say in your heart after the Lord has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the lord is driving them out before you. So it's god who does the work. It's not because of how good the israelites are, it's not because of how powerful their armies are, it's not because of how righteous they are. It's god saying, "I'm not giving you the land because you're great. I'm giving you the land because you are my people, and this is what is just, and this is what is right." I uh, I recently took my son, Teddy, on our first father-son camping trip a couple of months ago. And it was awesome. We had a great time, didn't we, bud? Yeah, it was epic. We had I had so many things planned for us to do together, and I had a whole bunch of stuff to do. But some, this, this being my first father-son trip as well, I had not realized <clears throat> how these camping trips would actually start out when you're camping with a six-year-old, right? We get all the stuff out on the campsite. We're laying it out, trying to set up home base. And we get the tent, you know, planted out. And I'm showing, you know, Teddy, this is how you plant a, you put a tent, a tent peg into the ground. I was like, you just go around and do, you know, all of these and I'll come back in a soon. So anyway, 15 minutes later, I come back and Teddy's about halfway through the first peg. <laughs> and he's like, dad, I'm doing such a great job, aren't I? And I said, oh, I thought you did. I, you, I said, yeah, you're doing a great job. You did do a great job. And as we were setting up this tent, I realized this is going to take a lot longer than I expected. And it was awesome. We learned how to put TED pegs at the ground together. We learned how to put it up together. And it took us a long time, but we ultimately did it. Now, one thing I didn't do, I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't say to Teddy, hey, Teddy, you did not put that tent up by yourself. So therefore you have to go sleep outside. Why would I, I wouldn't do that. Even though I knew his best effort to put that tent up probably wouldn't have done it. He couldn't have done it by himself. And I think this is so important. This was such an important thing for the Israelites to understand. They couldn't do this by themselves. They needed God's help. In fact, God himself was going to drive the people out. And throughout history, the Israelites were trying so hard to prove to God that they were good enough, either by trying to show him how holy and righteous they were or by trying to show him how much they didn't need him. And other times they just gave up on God completely. And in chapter 18, Joshua reveals a reluctance on behalf of the Israelites to take the land. In 18 verse 3, it says, Joshua said to the people of Israel, how long will you put off going in to take possession? Of the land which the lord the god of your fathers has given you maybe they were afraid to do it but this never phases god you see he wanted them to realize that he has chosen them they were his and the faithfulness to him did not depend on their performance faithfulness for them looked like believing in god's promises And I think as Christians, oftentimes we can turn our own faith into a performance sport. We can often feel that tug to want to be noticed at every church event. Sometimes we're silent when it comes to confessing sin in our life because we don't want people to look at us in a bad light. Oftentimes, um, you know, we, we can make being seen as a person of integrity even more important than actually trying to become that person of integrity. And God's saying to the Israelites, I'll drive out the Canaanites for you. You just have to inherit the land. I'll deliver on my promise. You just have to believe that this is for you. And this was how God was going to use the land to mark the people as his own. And Christians, we, we believe That Jesus Christ came for us, that he did the work on the cross for us, that our sin could never overcome what we needed to do to have a relationship with our Father in heaven. This is why Jesus came, and we believe this. We believe that we needed his grace to save us. But how often, how often do we as Christians forget that we need his grace? We often turn our neediness into performance and our dependence on God into winning approval from other people. And this is what it does to us. It makes us feel like something's wrong with us if we're not matching up in our faith and in our life to the person next to us. That is crushing, isn't it? And for the Israelites, it became a massive hindrance for them to inherit the land Why? Because they kept falling into the same trap that we fall into. We want to build our own identity based on our own performance. But God wants them to see a different reality. Do you know at the end of our camping trip, Teddy, I don't know if you remember this, but I asked you what the most favorite thing was that we did. Do you remember what you said? (laughs) He actually said the favorite thing that we did was fishing together. Now I can tell you that our fishing adventures were not that exciting. Okay, we went to two lakes, we snagged a bunch of times, <laughs> we uh, caught zero fish, and got zero bites. Right? <laughs> but, but I nearly got one for you. He nearly got one. Nearly got one for us. Right? But I think the thing that was so so incredible that Teddy taught me that day is that he just wanted to spend time with his dad. And he, Teddy taught me so much about the Christian life in that moment. You know, that's what God the Father wants with you and with me. He just wants us to spend time with him and to know that we're his and that because of Jesus Christ, we get to walk in our identity in him, not because of our own performance, not because of how good we're at this, but because we're his. That is what is so important to the Christian faith. I love how um, author Klein Snodgrass puts this. He's got a funny name, but he says something really important. He says, The Christian faith is not only that you can know yourself, at least at some level, but that you must know yourself, sin and all, that grace makes it possible to look honestly at yourself and that you will know yourself and find your true self only by knowing The God revealed in Jesus Christ. When you spend time with your heavenly father, you not only get to know God better, but you get to know yourself better because he made you. He created you. And so to know Jesus Christ is actually to be fully alive. He hasn't promised you a life of brilliant performance, although it can include that he purchased you a life of purpose and holiness in his loving grace. And we get to walk in that. But what does that actually mean for the Israelites? And what does that really mean for us? Well, let's look at part two, a promise for the future, a promise for the future. So from chapter 13, all the way down to chapter 21 in Joshua, we're going to see the different ways that Joshua divides the land up. There's a lot of uh, mentions of family names, there's a lot of mentions of cities, a lot of mentions of borders, like I said, like a, like, kind of like a real estate contract. I'm not going to go through all of those because we'll be here for two hours, but I do want to give you some highlights. So in a few, at a few moments, in about four or five of the chapters, we actually see that there's one tribe that does not inherit the land, and that's the tribe of Levi, In chapter 18, it says, The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. That's because the Levites' role was to administer the animal sacrifices that the Jewish people would celebrate on a day of atonement. And all the people would come together, they would bring their animals, and the Levites would sacrifice them on an altar as a representation of their sin before God. And it was this moment of worship. It was a moment of great celebration. But the Levites didn't get any land to themselves. What Joshua did was that he divided the cities up between the Levites. So they lived amongst all of the people everywhere. Now I bring this up just to say something about Louis as your pastor, okay? From what I know, Louis does not offer animal sacrifices on your behalf. Is that true? That's right. <laughs> Louis, that's not Louis's role. And it's also not Louis's role to amass a, a, a huge amount of personal wealth or property, right? Louis's role is to live among you, to pray with you, to listen to you, read the word to you. And in talking to him, this is what he loves to do. He loves being in your life and he loves you. And this is, this is what God has continued to do throughout time. He has... Appointed particular people in particular places to offer and to show you what the worship of Jesus Christ looks like. God might be calling some of you to that, but He's given you an incredible pastor in doing that. Another highlight is in chapter 20. And what happens here is that God sets up what's known as cities of refuge. In chapter 20, verse 9, it says, These were cities that were designated for all the people of Israel. And for the stranger, sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that they might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, till he stood before the congregation. So these cities were set up for people who killed somebody without intention. So people that committed manslaughter, for example. And it wasn't just for the people of Israel. This was also for the foreigners, that were living among them. So, in these cities that are set up, we actually see an incredible picture of God's grace, not just for his people, but for the outsider. And this is going to become really important later on. But we're going to look at one of the passages that's printed on your bulletin there to see how the promise of God is finally fulfilled. So in verse uh, chapter 21 verse 43 it says thus the lord gave to israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers and they took possession of it and they settled there and the lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers not one of all their enemies had withstood them for the lord had given all their enemies into their hands not one word of all the good promises that the lord had made to the house of israel had failed all Came to pass. This is a huge moment. The land that had been promised to the people of Israel was now theirs. There was peace in the Middle East. Like, this is such an important moment. Like, you know that movie, The Prince of Egypt, right? You all say that one? If there was a sequel to that movie, this would be the finale. All the people have now inherited the land of Canaan. This is a huge moment. Right? And the author of the book of Joshua is trying to make one thing really clear. This work that was promised from the days of Abraham was accomplished by God alone. It's a huge breathe out moment for the Israelites. They've been enslaved. They've wandered the desert for 40 years. They've crossed the Jordan River and now finally they have peace in the land. God has blessed them in a mighty way. But God is not done with them. There was a promise for a future that was yet to be realized. If you look in chapter 22, starting in verse 4, it says, Now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful. Be very careful to observe the commandment that the law, sorry, observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. God has given them a land that he promised them. But did you notice what he said? He said, Be careful. Be very careful. I, uh, I wrote to Louis earlier this week about the timeliness of this passage for this church um, and that it might be a prophetic passage for you. And I'm not throwing that word prophetic around lightly. Um, God can speak through his word to a specific people at specific moments in history. And prophecy might be a, a really strange word. We've probably got a, all of us have a relationship with that word prophecy. But in First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says not to despise prophecy, but to test it. So I want to lay this text before you, not my words, but this text before you for you to test and to see if God has something to say to you in it. As you're, as you're aware, your church has the potential to inherit this land, right, this property right here. And this is super exciting, right? All kinds of opportunities could come from here. Could you build an amphitheater? You could get a new sound system. You could put some grass down. I don't know. There's there's a whole bunch of some different parking. There's so many different opportunities that you could use this land for. And they're all exciting. And God can use them for His kingdom purposes, But just as Joshua warned his people to be careful, I wonder if God is also calling you to be careful. In the midst of the excitement, there might be a huge disappointment if this for some reason doesn't fall through. Or if it does come through, you could spend all of your time thinking about how could we redevelop this property. If you keep reading through the Bible, you'll notice that after the book of Joshua, you hit the book of Judges. And we see that the Israelites quickly turn all of this prosperity that they have into idolatry. And they shifted their focus and their energies to their possessions and their power and actually lost sight of the vision and the mission that God had for them. God has you on an incredible mission here, Surf Coast. You are, you are the family of God gathered to worship together. And yet we are also, you are also living among a people like the Rahabs or like the Caleb's that are in this book, or even the Gibeonites, people that have not come into the family of God yet, but God is calling you to go see them, to go find them. Who are those people that you're living amongst right now? Maybe it's your work colleagues. Maybe it's some other mums or dads at school. Maybe it's some other folks that you just happen to see at a cafe often. That God might be calling you to share the good news of Jesus with. You have been given a city of refuge in Jesus Christ. You know, at one point, all of us were guilty of murder. We were guilty of... Of turning away from God. We were guilty from seeing him as our Lord and Savior. And yet he offered us a city of refuge. He offered us a place of refuge in Jesus Christ. We get to live and walk in his identity. And friends, there is a whole coast out here of people that don't know him. There is a whole group of people out there that need to find the city of refuge. And he's put you here on that mission. And guess what? You get to share with them the greatest promise of all. In Revelation chapter 7, John sees this incredible vision of the future. And he tries to describe it. He says, there's a great multitude that no one could number, From every nation, every land, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, this promise, the promise is salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the promise that we have been entrusted as Christians. And if you're here and you're still figuring out what that looks like, you're still figuring out what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. Can I tell you, you've come to the right place. This is a place where God's people gather together under his love, under his identity, around a campfire, on the grass, on the dirt. This is what real love looks like. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins and calling you into a family of God. And so we're going to pray right now and we're going to continue to worship together and ask God to use you in this city. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.